I hope so. Man, so so glad that you are here. You probably, maybe you haven't recognized this if you've been here the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm praising God this morning because the, a, the air, the AC is, uh, is working properly. The last couple of weeks, believe it or not, it has not been working. And um, so it has been rather hot in here, or at least there's two units that run this room and one was not working. So it was hot and I knew that because I was sweating profusely every time I was preaching and our poor band was as well. And some people, some of you were like, it's hot in here. So I'm glad it's working because I always say this, fat boys love Freon. And I'm so glad that the air is working now that it's, especially that summer, it's getting hotter. But um, it is so great to be here. We're continuing. I think this is week 13 that we are in Acts, um, and it has been an awesome, awesome journey. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 13. That's where we're going to be. You can put your your finger there before we read it. Um, Man, in preparation, I feel like God always does this, so I don't want to just say it, it was just this week, but this week especially, Man, God just like convicted me, was stirring, working in my heart on on this passage of scripture. Um, And my prayer for you this morning is not that you just are like, oh, that's so cute and that's inspiring. As Matt even mentioned, man, it it should be a convicting message. It should be something that um, the Holy Spirit is stepping on our toes, if not breaking our feet, um, grabbing our attention, grabbing our heart um, in this. And so what I hope is not that you don't just hear a message that I'm communicating, but that God speaks to you. And wherever you're at, no matter what you're dealing with today, no matter what you're bringing into this place, stress of work, um, stress of life, family situation, whatever it is, that God will meet you right where you are and just speak to you this morning. And so in order to do that, I I just want to pose a question to kind of... Get your heart started, um, and it's a pretty heavy question, to be honest. Um, it's, it's a convicting question, but I want to ask, ask it anyways, is, um, and it's this. What are you willing to die for? Now, that's a big, lofty question, but I really want you to internalize that. What are you willing to die for? Now, if you're like me, I use kind of common language all the time to say, man, I would die to have this, or I would die to do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, what would you actually die for? What would you put your life on the line for? Now, if, if, if I had a guess, that's probably a very short list, all right? So you probably are like, I- I'm willing to die for my spouse. Some of you are like, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> but, um, but you would be willing to put your life on the line for your spouse. Um, maybe if you have kids, you would put your life on the line for your kids, there's probably, if you have multiple kids, at least one of your kids that you would probably second guess yourself. For, I'm just being honest, right? You're like, ah, I don't know. Not that we have favorites, but, you know, that's what it is. Maybe there's a good friend or two that you have that you're like, I would die for that person. Um, maybe if you're an animal lover, you would put your life on the line for your pet. I know this is reality. We have a dog. Sloan is obsessed with our little dog, and she has told me, if our house is on fire, you better save the dog. And it better come out. I don't care about you, but it better come out. And uh, the way I, I look at it, she'll be richer with me dead anyway. So um, she doesn't look at it that way. But <clears throat> I really want you to think, what are you willing to put your life on the line for? What are you willing to die for? And here's why I say that. Because the reality is, is that when you know what you are willing to die for, you find really what's worth living for. Now think about that. When you, when you know and when you're confident 
that I'm willing to die for this. What you find in return is what you are really, what you see worth living for. And if you are a follower of Christ in the room, if you consider yourself a believer, a Christ follower, my hope is that you and I would see that the hill that's, that we're willing to die on is the gospel. It is the message of Jesus, who he is, what he's all about, that it drives us. It is a motivating factor in our life. And that is something that we are willing to die for. And so as we have seen in this series that the gospel is spreading and really it starts with this heart of the apostles, the early believers in the early church that said, I'm willing to die for it. And what we have seen is that Christianity is spreading really based upon their faith, but we really do because of persecution and, and fear. And I mean that in a way that they're really running for their life. And so they're going from city to city proclaiming the gospel. And wherever they go, they're proclaiming it. And they're like, I don't care. You can threaten us. You can arrest us. You can kill us. We're going to talk about Jesus. And so when we get to chapter 13, what we see is actually a shift. It's no longer people just running for their life because of persecution. But what we come to is that the church is intentionally and on purpose sending out what we'll see is Paul and Barnabas to go proclaim and share Jesus and talk about Christ with um, the world. And so we see that. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me. It's Acts chapter 13. It'll also be on the screen. We're going to start in verse 2. And you might be like, start in verse 2. Why don't we start in verse 1? I'll be honest. In verse 1, there's a bunch of names that I don't know how to pronounce. So we're going to start in verse 2. All right? That's why. Verse 2, follow, follow and read with me. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. Now, if you've been with us on this journey, if you study the book of Acts, this is a common theme. You see that the Holy Spirit, the power of God, Jesus ascends to heaven. The power of God comes empowers, emboldens, and gives them really the strength to proclaim. And so here you have the Holy Spirit, and he says, says this, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So God's obviously calling them to a, a greater mission. In verse 3, it says, Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So you have this commissioning service, if you will, inside the church. They're sending Barnabas and Paul. They pray for them, and they're like, adios, you need to go. All right, go and, and sh share the gospel. Verse 4, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Cyprus is an island. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, through the, um, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Isn't that an interesting name? It's almost laughable. I'm like, that's kind of, could you imagine? You'd be like, hey, here's a new kid in your class. His name's Bar-Jesus. I just think that's weird. But anyway, all right. And he was with the proconsul. This is like a, a, a kind of a government official, a governor, if you will. Sergius Paulus, a man of uh, intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So this governing official, the proconsul, heard enough about Jesus that he summons, he calls for Paul and, Paul and Barnabas to come and to share about who Jesus is. So he calls them. He's curious. 
verse 8. But Elymas, the magician, and I love what Luke does in parentheses, for that is the meaning of his name. Elymas means sorcerer, magician, deceiver. Says that he opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Your translation might say truth. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, I would love to be a uh, fly on the wall in this moment. He says to him, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. God makes, okay, think about these words that Paul is saying. And, and so immediately mist and darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred. For he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. All right, so incredible passage of Scripture. Here's what I want us to do. I'm going to pull out three things that we see Paul and Barnabas are willing to do for truth that I think that if you are a follower of Christ, you should be willing to do for truth. It should apply to your life. The first one is this. Any believer should be willing to move for truth. You should be willing to move for truth. Now, what we see here is that Paul and Barnabas they're like, hey, if God's sending us here, we'll go. We're will, whatever God wants, we're willing to go. You and I can be stubborn, stubborn creatures. And God can get our attention in a multitude of different ways. And we're like, you know what? I'm not moving. We, we kind of put our feet and we're down and we're like, okay, God, we want you to work, but not that way. I don't want to do that. And what we see is this willingness from Paul and Barnabas, all the apostles, all the early church that say, you want us to move? We'll move. We are willing to move for truth. Now, let me kind of pose another question. What moves you in life? What stirs your emotions, kind of pricks your heart, gets your attention, motivates you, what gets you up in the morning to actually do something? Now, for some of us, you'd be like, you know what? Um, you know, like, I just, I, I don't know, Dustin, that's a good question. I don't really feel like I have a purpose. I, I hate my job. I get up in the morning, I, I don't want to go to it, doesn't pay that much. I really don't want to wake up my kids in the morning because I like my coffee and the peace and quiet, right? And I don't like coming home because it's stressful with homework and getting kids ready for bed or whatever the case may be. Or I'm a stay-home mom, my kids drive me nuts, I can't wait till my, my husband gets home so I can say, tag, you're it, <laughs> right? It's reality, you go to bed exhausted and you wake up and you do it all over again. And you think, I'm not really that motivated. But for some of you, you might say, I love my job. It, pay, it pays well. I love the people I work with. I like getting up and going to my job. It's fun or, you know, job's a job, but I, I enjoy it. Some of you might say, you know what moves me? I, I like the approval of people. I like to go and have people like me and talk to me and and so I, I, the way they perceive me is important to me. And so that motivates me to wear a certain thing or to act a certain way, to drive a certain car, to kind of keep up with the Joneses and all those different things. And so that's what motivates me in the morning. <clears throat> Maybe you're motivated by money. 
You're like, hey, I like my 401K. I have my retirement plan. We're set. I got my six-month emergency fund over here. My retirement's good. You know, I don't have any debt. Whatever. All of us are motivated by different things. But here's what I want to point out. Is that oftentimes, you and I, we are willing to move for meaningless things other than eternal things. And this is what I mean by that. You and I, we get more excited about stupid things that do not matter than we do about the gospel. We get more thrilled cheering on our football team and that they won and seeing our kids win an award at school than we do the gospel. And I'm not saying those, those things, if your team wins, great. You know, I cheer too. But it hit me, it hit me this weekend. So I came out of retirement um, for two years, and now I'm coaching flag football for my boys. And Noah, our youngest, he's 12, is playing up in a 14U league. So he's already small, and, um, and out there he looks even smaller, all right? And so yesterday we had a game, and he scored his first touchdown of the season. And he was talking all kind of trash beforehand, like, I'm going to score a touchdown. I'm going to do it today. And it happened. So he was so excited as a dad. I'm like, yeah, you know. And I was so thrilled. I'm like, yes. He even this week, he like drew some, some plays with a Crayola washable marker. All right. And he was like, can we do one of the plays? And so we did a play and got the two-point conversion. It was, a, it was a win. And so it was so awesome. But I'm just going to be transparent with you. I was so excited for my Noah to, get a, to score a touchdown. And I saw the excitement on his face. But at the end of the day, I really didn't want to do a devotion as a family. I was like, I'm tired. I just want the kids to go to bed. It's late. I just want to chill for a second. Are you following me? And so oftentimes we get more, we're more moved and more motivated by meaningless things. And this might sound like a punch throat, okay, or a throat punch. It might sound like uh, you're step, I'm stepping on toes, and I probably am. But think about this. If meaningless things move us more than eternal things, we live a meaningless life. If we are more motivated and more focused and more moved on meaningless things, I'm not saying you're a bad person. I'm not saying you're going to hell. I'm not saying any of those things. But if our priorities are so out of whack, you will live a meaningless life. If you focus on the things of this world more than eternal things, you will have a meaningless life. It will be empty. Who cares if you make the sports team, if you have all A's, if you go to college for free. Those things are great, and I'm thankful that they're there. But at the end of the day, Jesus does not care. He cares about the, the impact you are making on the kingdom of God. Now, if you do that by making straight A's and sharing Jesus, so be it. If you make it on the sports team, so be it. Whatever the case may be. But you and I both know that we spend more time, more energy, and we're more committed to things of this world that do not matter than the gospel. And Paul and Barnabas, they saw the beauty and they said, you know what? This is, we are willing to die for this. And so in verses 2 and 3, in just two simple verses, Holy Spirit comes, and they're not like, yeah, let me pray about it for a year. They're like, okay, let's do it. Let's go. It's like one moment, the Holy Spirit says, hey, I'm sending you out. They fast and pray, and then they're sent. Verse 3. And so 
It's, it's one of these things. They were willing to move. There was this calling and there's this being sent. And the thing is, is that as a believer, our context in life might change, but our calling doesn't change. It doesn't matter where you live, what you do for a living. You are called to share the gospel. You are called to be obedient to Jesus. And so we have to be willing to move. And what we see in them is that sharing the gospel was everything to them. They did not care. And so for us as believers, man, we should be moved. When someone gives their life to Jesus, that should excite us. When we see someone get baptized and proclaim that they've walked from darkness to light, we should be like, yes. When we see that, hey, I'm actually taking some steps as a dad or as a mom to intentionally disciple my kid and they're getting it, man, we should win and celebrate that. We should take steps, but oftentimes you're like me, and we celebrate things that are really meaningless. All right, you made the all-star team. I don't know where you're at in your walk with God. And so we have to be very careful that we have to shift our priorities and be willing to move for that. And I know that's convicting heart check, but the question really before us is, does the gospel move you? Does it excite you? Does it move you and stir in your heart that you need to do something about it? Here's the second thing that we see. Is that not only do we need to be willing to move for truth, we need to be willing to protect the truth. Paul and Barnabas are before the pro-council, this incredible opportunity to share the gospel. And he's curious, so he invites them in. He's sharing it. And then you see this magician who his number one goal is spelled out in verse 8. He was seeking to turn the pro-council from the truth or from the faith. His number one objective is to falsify. He's a false prophet and to say, hey, I don't want you to believe the truth. Now, you don't need a preacher. You don't need a pastor to tell you this, that we live in a world that is consistently and constantly attempting to turn you from the truth. That's not some political statement that I'm making. I'm just saying we live in a world that is wanting you to buy into the things of this world. And it's a false gospel other than Jesus. And that's both shallow things and deep spiritual things. So, for instance, a shallow thing. Think about this. Like, I don't watch a lot of commercials. I'm thankful that you can hit record, you know, record and then fast forward to those things. But there's so many commercials that I'm like, I can't, I'm like, that's what they were selling. Are you with me? I'm like, no, I didn't know that was a car commercial, you know? Like, I didn't know that that was like, for a, a box of wheat thins, you know? It's like some agenda that they're wanting to, to throw at us, to us to believe, to become numb to, whatever the case may be. We are getting thrown every single way as a Christian in a lost and broken world. We are, there are messages and things communicated to us all the time. Things like, you know what? If you buy this, if you do this, you dress this way, you live this way, you'll be happier. You, you won't have stress. You'll be more accepted by culture. You'll be well-liked. You know, if you don't believe me, have teenagers. You know, they say, I have to have this app. I have to have this. I have to have this. Everybody's doing it. I'm the only one. That's how the devil works. He wants to isolate you in those things. Think about this, parents in the room. We buy into the fact that my kid will be a better kid if they're involved in every single sport and we're on the go and even though it stresses my family out and we eat Chick-fil-A and McDonald's every other day and we're going through the drive-thru, you should see my trunk, you know, we should just be stressed to the max because that's what you're supposed to do for your kids. It's going to make them better. We buy into that. And we see research shows by the time they get to high school or college, they're, they're burned out. 
They don't like the sport anymore, and chances are they're not getting a college scholarship. So we put all this stress on them. Meanwhile, we don't disciple our kids. So now they have no relationship with Jesus, but they're one heck of a volleyball, soccer, baseball, cheerleader, whatever the case may be. We have to, in this world, stand up for truth. And what I love about Paul, if you study him, he does a great job contextualizing the gospel. Here's what I mean. Whether he's with the Gentiles, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, he contextualizes it in the same way. But one thing he does not do is he does not compromise the truth. He does not tolerate a false gospel. In this, did you see? I mean, this is some hard truth. Paul turns to him and says it looked, he looked intently at this false prophet Bargy. He looked intently. You know that I think of when you're in trouble and your mama looks at you? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you in trouble, boy, I'm about to take you out. That's what I'm thinking here. Paul looks at him and says this, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? I mean, that's some harsh words. He calls it out. He protects the gospel. He says, what you're teaching is false. It's a lie. This is not the truth. So I'm going to call it out for what it is. Now, let me kind of throw this out here. This is not like the, um, the poster child method for you and I to confront sin. You should not have this in your back pocket, you know, and next time you see someone sin, be like, listen here, you, <laughs> you know, you SOD, son of disobedience, you know, like you're a full of deceit, you're full of villainy, and you're going to hell. That's not how you and I should treat people. Right? There is a balance of grace and truth that we approach people. And what we see is that we have to stand for such things. We have to be able to address those things. And, and you have to, like, if we're just really honest and transparent, when we are balanced and we understand what God is doing and we understand truth, we can wrestle with things that I know my kids are wrestling with. How, like, like this, okay? How am I to love a friend who is struggling with gender dysphoria? Or I have a really good friend who their son or daughter is homosexual and they're getting married. Should I attend that wedding? I don't want to look like I condone it. Or that family member that everybody knows is addicted to alcohol or drugs or pornography. And we don't know what to say without coming across judgmental. And the thing is, is that we have to stand for truth, but there is a balance of grace and truth. So on family vacation, where you have that crazy family member, don't go to them and say, hey, I haven't mean to tell you this, you're a son of disobedience. <laughs> but there's a right way and a wrong way to go about those things while standing up for the truth. And here's what I know in protecting the truth. Before you can protect the truth, you must first love and know the truth. In order to protect the truth, you need to first love and know the truth. Here, here's how I view it. If I went home this afternoon and, Lord willing, someone broke into our house and started attacking my kids and my wife, my first instinct, if I was able, would be to go to my gun safe, okay? I'm just an American, all right? And so, and we're in the South. But if I didn't have enough time for that, 
I would turn into Chuck Norris in a hot, hot second, okay? And I'm going to start karate chop. I'm, I'm going to town on whoever's attacking my kids and my wife. I'm going to do whatever it takes. You following me? I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to put my life on the line to protect my kids, to protect my family. Why? Because I know and I love them. I know and I love my kids. I will stand up and I will protect them no matter what the cost. Now, you can judge me all you want and think I'm a horrible person, but I'm just being, I'm, I'm going to be real for a second. Now, let's compare and contrast that. If I go to Walmart and an active shooter comes into Walmart, I would like to think I'm going to be a hero, but I'm going to be honest. I'm going to run and I'm going to scream like a little girl. Because it's not smart to be like, no, let me play hero. Now, if there was a cashier next to me, I would probably say, you need to run, okay? But I probably would not lay down my life for her or him. Why? Like, you're a horrible person, okay? I don't know them, and I don't love them the same way I love my family. You see what I'm, I'm, I'm getting at, right? Is that I wouldn't protect them because I really don't know them and love them, but I would protect my family because I know them and I love them. And the same is true with the gospel. And this is what hit me this morning. Jesus knows and loves you. So that's my kid. He wants you to be in line with the truth as well. He wants to protect you from a nasty, hateful, lie-filled world. And we have to be able to tune in to the truth, and we have to know it, and we have to love it. And the reality is, is that it provides a standard for our life. Truth is truth. It is the standard of all things that we should do as believers and in this life. And then third, we see Paul and Barnabas, not only are they willing to move, not only are they willing to protect, they're willing to proclaim the truth. They're willing to proclaim. They proclaim it, verse 12, the pro-council, it says, the pro-council believed. If you continue um, looking and reading the rest of chapter 13, you see that Paul stands up. He proclaims the truth. This is true of all the apostles. Why? Because they have experienced Jesus in such a way that it has changed them and they want everybody else to know. Me and Sloan, we've been married, we just celebrate 18 years. When we got engaged, I told everybody. I posted on Facebook and Instagram. I told everybody, mainly because I wanted them to have proof that she said yes because they couldn't believe it, all right? But I told everybody. When our, when our boys, when we finalized their adoption, I told everybody about it. I'm a dad. I'm officially a dad, you know? I, I just couldn't believe it because it changed my life. And when the gospel changes our life, we tell everybody about it. And I love, if you remember, back when we looked at Acts chapter 4, it says, Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We will not stop talking about it. We will not stop proclaiming it. We are willing to proclaim the truth. You can threaten us. You can arrest us. You can kill us. But we are committed and this is worth dying for. For they knew that the gospel was everything, that Jesus is the only thing worth living for. And so I say all that for us to wrestle with in this moment as the band is about to lead us to respond to that. Our 
Are we living for the gospel? Does it motivate you? Is it the lens by which everything else in your life flows? Is it something that you can check your heart this morning and say, you know what, I am more moved by the gospel? Or are you like, you know what, I'm not. And for you to talk to Jesus, to respond to him this morning as we worship, to say, you know what, Jesus is worth dying for. Why? Because he's faithful. Why? Because his promise to never leave you nor forsake you still stands. Why? Because he is there even when you feel like he's far away. He is there. He is the life giver. He is the life changer. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. I love what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. He says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. He gives me the strength. Jesus died for you so you could have life. Let it move you today. Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for this amazing story of Paul and Barnabas and their stand for truth. Let us be willing to move. Let us be willing to protect. Let us be willing to proclaim who you are, what you've done in our life to a lost and broken world. And let us remember people are looking for it. They're looking for hope. They're looking for change. They might not call it Jesus. They might not know it's you. But God, allow us to be faithful because you're faithful. You are with us through the thick and thin. And it's our confidence that rests in you, that you are the truth. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand. Let's respond to Jesus this morning in worship. If you need prayer, I'll be down here. If you just want to come to the altar, feel free to pray. We love you. Jesus wants you to respond to him this morning.